The following program may contain content not suitable for all audiences. It didn't feel like we were making a lot of decisions. We were kind of like reacting to the story that he was rolling out, but in a fun way, not in a way that made it feel like messed up or uncomfortable or, you know. It like didn't that. feel overly railroady. Which I mean, convention games often can anyway, because it's the way you gotta you gotta kind of put them together. But convention games, it doesn't matter what direction you go; they're all the same thing. <laughs> Con games, find the rails or at your peril. Yeah, I'm okay with that though. But I I loved what I read about the Pine Box Middle School thing. I thought it looked like you know because when you start skewing younger like that, it opens up kind of a different type of horror relationship with the kids. That Stranger Things kind of vibe, you know and I like love it. Games I dig it. That have kids. I know you do. I don't. I don't understand how you can make real campaigns out of them, though. I think they're great one shots, but like, I just don't see making long term games. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Um, I know I've always been fascinated by. It. I've never gotten to play monsters and child, other childish things, which I know Becky's run for some of us before. And um, oh, that was super fun too. And somebody ran kids on bikes. I don't remember who that was. Was that Justin or was it Eli? It's one of the one of the other ransom kids on I think it was No, it was Justin because Eli played in it. Yeah. God, what, is, what a great game. It was. So I know fun. I kept falling asleep in that one because it was like stupid late on a Friday night. Like, I just wasn't with it. But what a fun just game. Just saying, if we wanted to open that up again, you, I like you, playing and things. Do, doing the Friday night gaming thing, you think? Yeah. It's like, I do, I do right. enjoy trying different stuff. That, and that, I, we know we got people ready to do it. So, I mean, the only holdup there is obviously, is honestly just organizing it. It isn't that we don't have the ability. I mean, we've got people ready to run games, willing to run games, interested in running games, you know. But, um, and I, Brian, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. We actually did like a series a couple of years ago after, you know, in the heart of the pandemic, right? We mm-hmm. did a series of like online every other Friday night for a while. We decided we would try a different game of some kind. Oh. And we had a bunch of guest GMs. And they would come on and run one shots for us online. And so being who we were, we got a lot of guest GMs who were people that knew the systems very well. Uh, Some of them were the people that wrote the systems they were showcasing for us. Right. Yeah, it was it was it was a lot of fun. You know, it was a really great time. And it was neat having somebody else sit at the table with everybody. And and the nice thing was that although um, pretty much I think Richard Vanessa pretty much made it to just about every one of them. We had kind of a rotating cast otherwise because not everybody could be. I couldn't be there all the time. Yeah. You know, it just worked I'd out well. Jesse made it to a few of them. Eli made it to a few of them. Yep. You made it to a few of them. Mm-hmm. Becky made it to a few of them and she ran one. Yeah. I think I bought most of the ones. Yeah, and, and we uh, kept picking up the games. What were we going to say, Brian? No, I just said, you know, we've been, like you said, we've been, we've been playing for a while now and I haven't played in so long. So now I'm getting back into everything. And I've really been experimenting around with Fantasy Grounds a lot. Uh, and, and so, yeah, like you said, I've. Now I want to. Now I'm ready to run stuff. I just can't decide what. <laughs> yeah, I've got like well, you got a couple things, things on your on uh, uh, that you've been spinning. I noticed. <laughs> yeah, well, like I said, you know, I don't know. Which uh, game was it that I ran for that? Uh, was it Monkey Ninja Pirate Robot? <laughs> yes, it was Monkey Ninja, <laughs> think, Monkey Ninja Pirate Robot. The three, the three things that really <laughs> that was so I popped to mind for me is either Shadow of the Demon Lord or Starfinder. Or mm-hmm. uh, the late the, the one I really kind of on a kick right now. Like I said, I picked up the Savage Worlds rule set. Is the Octon Cthulhu World War II? I would be on board for stuff. all of those. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. Although I have discovered a huge drawback with the so I've been really been messing around with the the, the idea of like a World War II Savage Worlds Cthulhu game. Uh, it's really hard to find RPG tokens of Nazis. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, but you only need one, and then you just copied a bunch. I mean, it all. And no, actually, it's not. It's not that big a deal. Drive through RPG might actually have tokens for Octon Cthulhu. Just saying. I've looked. I've looked. And it's easy to make tokens. I mean, you just find. find yeah, I started find using an AI like. generator to try to make. <laughs> Make no, it's hard to find pictures of Nazis. I'm like, I get that you don't want to glorify them, but I'm why just, do they're all gonna your get Nazis killed. have 17 fingers? <laughs> I'm confused. Well, it's like I need more than just a picture Whoa, of Nazis. You need change their website. It's oh, did they really? Cthulhu. I mean, you're yeah. gonna need pictures of skeletal Nazis, werewolf Nazis, um, robot oh my God, Nazis. <laughs> Whoa, this looks totally different. Uh, like, it's not bad. No, but I think of this. But it's definitely okay. different. I'm okay. I'm okay with change. I like the look. Actually, I like the design. The aesthetic's really cool. Oh, uh, look, I if like, you click on browse, look, it brings everything up. I like Dude. the idea of a game where the characters are, uh, that kind of follows a group of characters throughout the war, and the characters are military members or civilians, and they are kind of take, they are work for. Uh, MI6 before MI6 was MI6. It's like Section D. Okay. Uh, uh, but you could still have like American characters and things like that, like someone on loan from the fledgling FBI seeing how the intelligence is being put together over there. And this, so this group, this small squad of people, along with some extra NPCs, are then sent on missions for MI6, you know, both before the war starts and as the war goes on, you know, like uh, the first one being like, you know, they've heard rumors like they're, you know, the Nazis have just invaded Czechoslovakia and, you know, you know, they haven't attacked Europe, London yet. London, Britain's not in the war, but they're going to have you parachute in to see you know, that they, they've made contact with a, the rebels in Czechoslovakia. One of the priests is, uh, you know, Father Andreas, you know, is the leader of the rebellion there. He's talked about atrocities going on at a nearby castle, Castle, uh, you know, Karlstein and that, you know, if you could get some photographic evidence of whatever these atrocities are, it would go well for the propaganda machine at home because they feel very shortly Hitler is going to attack Europe or attack uh, London, Britain. which is true because everything's going to follow real life events. Uh, but, and so, but so let's you're not forget this is a in. Cthulhu game. Right, right. I mean, I'm not telling you what's happening at the castle. Yeah, it's very Cthulhu-esque. <laughs> But, you know, you don't know the characters. So you're going to parachute in as a group, a military, paramilitary group. And, of course, you know, you are spies. The military can't, you know, if you are caught, they don't know anything. You're going to be issued standard issue. Each of you will be given a cyanide pill. <laughs> right, right, right. Nice. Dig it. Um, speaking, of, speaking of characters, uh, welcome to Metagamers Anonymous. I'm dedicated to tabletop role-playing games and most related material. Presentation of Prismatic Tsunami. My name is Eric. I'm Rich. I'm Vanessa. And I'm Brian. And thank you for joining us for episode number. I don't even know. I'm not even looking right now. Um, a lot. We don't have Joe here to tell us. Right. He always <laughs> he's, he's always ready to correct me if I'm wrong, too. I love it. Uh, <laughs> and Joe, I actually do kind of love it. No, not something you can say about everybody. I guess it'd be episode 293. We are creeping up on 300, guys. Creeping up. Around the end of the year, probably. Wait, cool. Nah, I can deal with that. I can deal with that. Um, so SonamiCon's coming. I want to make sure and get a mention out about that. Uh, if you uh, have not bought your ticket yet, it's a it's a really cool uh, way to prep for SonamiCon. Buy your ticket, your badge in advance. Go to SonamiCon.org and uh, follow the prompts. You can get to there, get there pretty easily. Pick up your badge in advance. You can sign up for games that way that are on the schedule. The schedule's getting bigger every day, every week. Get more stuff added, which is cool. Little by little, uh, it's coming together. 
And, uh, you know, I, I'm getting excited about it. It's, it's only, at the time we're recording this, it's only a couple weeks away. So uh, that's happening in Wichita at the Holiday Inn at Kellogg and Rock. If you've never been there, it's a really great venue. going to have a lot of fun with it. Um, I, I think, I, I think I'm almost prepared for this trip. I've got a lot of little stuff still to figure out. Little stuff to figure out. And uh, a couple of the big expenses were still kind of nailing down, you know, last minute items and stuff. But um, I, this week I'm really focusing on getting the play to win stuff together, make sure the library is all organized. Uh, we got, a, a t- I got like 40 play to win games this year. It's, it's a really nice. great, great stack of stuff. I'm going to be, you know, just throwing at people and I'm looking forward to it. Love doing that shit. So, so that's happening. And uh, make sure you come on out, spend some time with us. It's not become weekend. That's October 20th, 21st, 22nd, coming up at the uh, Holiday Inn in Wichita. Uh, special thanks to this year to our big sponsors, Talon Games and uh, The Burrow. And uh, uh, actually, okay. Vanessa, you're even going to do a game at The Burrow if, if that's still working out the way you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I which, haven't heard otherwise. I'm going to remind him about a week prior and yeah. make sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to have to leave that in your hands. You're going to need to kind of police your yeah. game situation because obviously it's outside of our jurisdiction. But yeah, um, Derek's pretty cool. And I heard he is going back full-time running the place because I know for a while he was doing – he had a full-time gig on the side and the borough became mm. like a family thing. Uh, but oh. as kids have kind of started doing their own thing in life and, <laughs> you know, that, that kind of happens after a while. And uh, yeah. he's, uh, I guess, the store's done done well enough in the last few years that it's gotten to the point where it can support him and his wife and everything they want to do full time. And I couldn't be happier. Derek and Tina are That's amazing. Awesome. That's awesome. And so, so he's because he's like a chemist or something. He's been he's been working in like the in med- medical labs or something for years. So kind of huh. kind of weird to know that, that, isn't it? He's he's that kind of geek. <laughs> things I wouldn't have known he's otherwise. A serious science geek, yeah. Um, but but you're gonna run a. Uh, Game with candles, which is why we can't do it, of course. At you know, yeah, t- ten candles involves fire and darkness and seclusion, all things that are super easy to find on the convention. <laughs> right? Um, we can arrange that, but we're not telling you where we're putting you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh man, it's still we're a chance. Definitely I not find telling the space, hotel. But... No, that's why. No, we're yeah, no, 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 no. The borough is literally awesome. down the street. I mean, it's oh yeah, you know, it's. it's like if it weren't for like busy streets, you could almost walk there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I the street across the worst intersection in the city. True, <laughs> at but... least one of the worst, if not the worst. Oh, dude, but it, it was used to be the worse, worst remember? before they built the overpass. Yeah. Oh yeah, it used to be a lot worse, dude. Now it's just yeah. got to wait. Now it's just a slow ass intersection. That's the worst part about it. Now it used to be like there was just no way. I mean, it was just massive. Just everything stopped Kellogg and Rock. That's where everything had to stop. And that's why I always remember Wichita whenever we come to town when I didn't live there when I was younger. Because um, I grew up, uh, most of my growing up was like Stone's Throw. You know, I grew up out in southeast Kansas and then I lived in Winfield for, oh, lived in El Dorado for like three years, lived in Winfield for a couple of years, moved out to Dodge City. I was always, just that Wichita was, through most of my life, Wichita was the biggest city nearby. And then, of course, most of my adult life, I actually lived in Wichita after finally getting away from Dodge City, Kansas, which was a trick. Let me tell you, it's got a kind of a, what do they call it? It's kind of a quagmire, you know? Everybody says that about their hometown if it's a little dumb town, but you know it's yeah. like you can't ever get away from it. It's always always going to suck you back in, and there's always some people that get away, and you think, hey, they made it, and then they end up sucked back in. And um, uh, Brian somehow has managed not to get sucked back in, despite the fact that he still works for the company that started he started there with. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, for as long as that lasts, anyway. And uh, it's just, well, it's just 
but but of course you know you, you know Brian's your wife has a lot of a lot of family and friends back that way too so it's a constant yeah. kind of we're gonna go back to Dodge City for the weekend yay yeah, we don't go back there that much no that would be ridiculous yeah, most of our family is in anymore. Scott City <laughs> which is so much better. <laughs> <laughs> That, by the way, is about an hour north of Dodge City, and it doesn't have anybody in it. Um, now, once all of our, once all of my family was gone, our friend Justin's about the only guy there that I, I spent, that I talked too much, you know, and, um, he, of course his, his whole life's there, his whole family's there, you know, you've got, he and his wife have kids and all their parents and stuff still live there in the area. So all the great, you know, grandparents, grandkids, all that stuff is always just, it's life, you know, and he's always uh, done well with his career. And it's always been right there. So if you can make it work for you and you're happy with that kind of life, uh, more power to you. But man, it was a dead end kind of town for a long ass time. And I, would, I, I say that with a certain amount of love because, I mean, I did spend 15 years there um, and some very formative years at that. My, you know, my high school and after. But, and it's where I met, you know, Brian. It's where I met Kid. It's where, it, you know, a lot of the people that have been a big part of my life, uh, you know, gaming and otherwise over the years. But I, I definitely I don't feel I made a bad decision getting away. Part of the problem being there wasn't exactly a gaming scene. I was the gaming scene. <laughs> funny how that worked, huh? Yeah, no, so, I don't. I don't miss it. The funny thing is that um, I, I never had in, encountered the idea, or seriously considered the idea anyway, of setting any games in Dodge City. Despite the fact that I know it's a classic, like, old western town and everything. There's a lot you could do mm-hmm. with that. But um, moving to Wichita, I eventually set games in Wichita, which was weird. Yeah, I never thought I'd, I never thought I would do that, but Wichita had a big enough was a big enough township with enough kind of like little nooks and crannies to make it fun, and yeah. to to pull that about. And I ran some strange, a couple of strange scenarios. The, t- the strange, the strange, by the way, Brian is a game. Uh, <laughs> I ran a couple of odd scenarios. <laughs> oh, I love that. Uh, <laughs> oh, I watched it last night. I, I know the books. Oh, are, oh, know, the, just, oh, the movie was yes. Sorry, the movie was. Distracted, <laughs> dude. I was telling Johnica. That's Donica, the other podcast. After we got done with that, I said, you know, Exposition Street. It's it's one of the like three highest rated movies on Exposition Street. Oh yeah, and and it's this little like smaller budget, almost straight to video type movie. You know, but they followed the book. Oh, it's beautiful. Nobody does that. You ever seen that one, Ryan? Hot oh, Thomas? I don't think so. Yeah. If um, you haven't, and, I would a hundred percent recommend it. Anton Yelkin was it? I think his Anton name is. Yelkin. And Willem yeah. Dafoe, of course, because you yeah. Of course. Exposition Street and Willem Dafoe are old friends. He was in like a quarter of our first twenty movies. <laughs> it's insane. True, it's true. We had a thing. He was going. he was our biggest celebrity for a while. <laughs> Kept showing up. It was like and oh my god, Willem Dafoe was in this. What the hell? You know, that's when we realized okay. just how many movies he'd been in. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't um, think I've seen so you I haven't can't seen that put one. Lipstick on a pig. <laughs> It's good. You'd like it. It's it's your kind of film. It's got a it's got a very kind of because uh, it's got a horror aesthetic, but mm. it's got a very kind of um, cool uh, subversive story to it with some nice twists in it, and the uh, character is quirky and interesting. And he sees dead people, so you know, interesting. Yeah. I I've, I've read most of the series. It it's I didn't realize. I was because I was talking to Jonica about it last night. I remember Richard, you had said that there were several books. I didn't realize we were talking like several books. There's like nine books out in that series. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of books. This from an author who doesn't do sequels. Great. <laughs> you ever read a. They're really not sequels. You ever read or oh, see uh, oh. John Dies at the End? I haven't, but I, I I felt like there was a dead giveaway in the title. Oh, that, I love that. I love that book and show. <laughs> uh, I, I've not. I've heard good things, so I don't know. I. 
Oh, I don't know. I've been in, I've been in a weird state of mind lately. I've been watching old movies that I already know mostly, and I don't do that a lot. Just kind of and and watching. There's a couple of TV shows because I'm always I'm always checking out shows. I have a. You guys know how I am about movies and stuff. I can be the same way with TV shows sometimes, but I'm pickier when it comes to like long form entertainment. But binging has changed that a lot, and I'm always looking for game inspiration. And TV series are often the better place to find it than a movie because a movie will have like one or two major plot points and constructs that everything kind of jimmies around. But that's it. Whereas a TV series, they often have to find kind of find ways to keep dragging it out, right? Creating new hooks, establishing new precedents, expanding the world. And that's the kind of stuff that I focus a lot in campaigns and trying to build campaigns out and make them last longer and, and work better. So there's a lot of inspiration to be found in that. And lately I've watched, what did I want? I just, I just watched those like on Hulu, they had the Hardy Boys series. And it's like, there's so a Hardy like, okay. Boys series? Yeah. I was like, you know, it's, like, you know, it's got to be mystery stuff, right? So whatever. So. So I checked out, and it had supernatural kind of stuff in it, of course. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> when you yeah. were when you were talking uh-huh. about whether a kid's mm-hmm. role play game would make a good um, campaign, yeah. as opposed to a one shot, and I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, well, Nancy Drew and the Hardy Nancy Boys, Drew, Hardy Boys, yeah, that would be the, the, the type Nancy of, Drew. You could use that to develop like how you would do a campaign. I actually really enjoyed the Nancy Drew series. It was on CW. Um, I think you can see most of it on or all of it on Max.com now, but. Like uh, the Nancy Drew story was another one where they did the same thing. They, but in the Hardy Boys, it's kind of like subtle at first because it's like feels like a real investigation kind of thing. And then they have like a, a, like some like magical artifact thing that then starts doing doing shit. And it's like, OK, OK, this is good, though. This is fine. This is whatever. It's, it was fine. The characters were fun. The, the, the town they read was fun. It was cool. Nancy Drew, though, that writing in that show was terrific. You know, those characters, they went through so much shit and uh, they, they had like like had little like real little arcs and development in it and things, relationships that changed dramatically. I mean, it was a CW drama, though. Right. So it is what it is. Right. And but, but you can they see didn't how that still make a good campaign. They didn't beat around it at all. The supernatural shit was there from day one. You're talking ghosts <laughs> and shit from the very first couple episodes in freaky ways. I mean, they did some really great kind of little horror tinged kind of, a, you know, introduction of those elements in it. And. I liked it. Um, I know that that's not the traditional Nancy Drew idea, which was, again, I'm sure just a girl detective finding yeah. detective-y things. But that's the way it is now. That's the way we do these stories now. Is we do we take that little thing that has that little nugget of nostalgia in it, and then we make it supernatural. That's what we do. Yeah. <laughs> right. I do, I do like so, Supernatural. And it went 15 seasons. So there you go. No, yeah, Supernatural, not Nancy Drew. <laughs> Nancy Drew went like five. Which was a lot like a campaign because the characters kept being brought back. Oh, After they died. Oh. <laughs> and I try very much not to run their kind of campaign because they also seem to feel like they had to outdo themselves every three or four episodes. You know, we need a way to escalate over the ridiculous, epic, end-of-the-world apocalyptic shit we did last season. Oh, yeah, that's, that's why I five. stopped watching that show. I think I <laughs> mm-hmm. made it three seasons in, and oh, then I some, stopped because I got sick of There were some real stinkers. There were some, really, there were some seasons that were kind of hard to muddle through. And again, it's the kind of show where you only keep doing it at that point because you fall in love with the characters. Yeah, and so when they start pushing the characters through the ringer, you are so traumatized by what's happening to your your dudes that you got to stay with it to see them actually get out of this. No, shift. first season was bad, and, they did. and it had first a beautiful. Was good. Ending. Yeah, the first oh, season was, was mon- okay. Scooby Doo no, Monster of the Week. Vanessa, you're you, by the way, you're completely off they base. Didn't. The first season was not good. They didn't even <laughs> I like that. The first like season was or was Freak of the Week monster like, hunting shit, and it was. In, and I was fine with that. They were quirky. I, mean, <laughs> I was fine with Monster of the Week. 
Mm. Yeah, when they started. Yes, well, and that's when it started getting ridiculous. Really, kind of in more than just the one demon that was kind of their impetus for the whole thing and everything. Um, and then when they eventually introduced the angels, I thought they did it in a really clever, cool way with it being such a powerful entrant into the the lore. But then they had this problem where every time something became it went from like this thing they were teasing, right? That you just saw like little shadows of that would engage a little bit. Like the angels are the best example, right? If you've never seen Supernatural. I'm not going to spoil the show for you, trust me, but if you don't want to know anything about it, ignore the next 30 seconds or so. Because they bring the angels in in a way, and I, I think this is something you could do in a campaign too, a really, really kind of fun way. But they bring the angels in a way that you just get a hint of their existence at first, right? Because you really wonder about it. When you're dealing with all this demons and shit, or the, what we're calling demons, you know, you're wondering about the real kind of legitimacy of any kind of biblical lore or anything that's going on here, right, around this. So then... So then the first hint of angels as an actual presence in this universe start to come into play. When they do, it's in like hints and subtle ways. And then like the, before you ever see one, you do things like you see a shadow on a wall. And then like a couple episodes later, there's a thing that happens where an angel spoke and his voice was so powerful. It just shattered minds and broke people and property and shit like that. You know, <laughs> all this stuff that gave it all this biblical weight, right? All this great lore just kind of coming to a boil. And then you finally get angels on the show and they turn out to be douchebags, just like you'd expect. I mean, they, they show up every couple episodes after that. I mean, it's like, <laughs> I don't fucking know what you're doing at this point. You know, why build up all that mystique and then just make it commonplace? And maybe I'm remembering in kind of a shortened form. But it feels like that's kind of what happened. And I'm sure they were like, yeah. okay, now we've done the angel thing to death. Let's do something else. You know, let's introduce some other thing that we're going to roll out there and make all dangerous and cool and mysterious until we solve that mystery. But that is, of course, the challenge of trying to drag something out that long. And if you've ever run a campaign where you had to try to keep making stuff up and keep going and keep things relevant for level after level after level after level. It, you kind of got an idea what that's like because it can be it can get really tough to challenge more powerful characters. Obviously, um, we're uh, we're starting another house game uh, because since we're getting close to SinamiCon, I've been so busy I hadn't been able to come up with material for the the one we've got uh, with uh, you know my wife and the kids. So Nira's running something for us, right? And we're just just actually we've had so many delays getting started. We haven't actually started it yet. We've just written up characters and talked to death about them. But um, it, one of the things that uh, I thought was kind of interesting talking, I was like, I I really I, I've, I've written up a D and D character. She's gonna run D and D game. It's gonna be fun. God, I wish I was playing Savage Worlds. <laughs> and I feel like such a dick, you know? I was like. Yeah, because this was like I was asking her to do it too. It's like I want to play something. I want to. I want to get into character. I don't want. I can't. I don't have time to come up with another game. Um, I want to just do something that that doesn't require that kind of commitment out of me, but it's fun. And you know, I don't mind running a writing up a D and D character. I got ideas. It's not a problem. Whatever. I start writing up a first level D and D character, and I realize first level D and D characters are weak ass douchebags. I want a Savage Worlds character. <laughs> And what made me to think be of that? Fair, Savage Worlds <laughs> characters aren't super strong. No, but they don't have to be either. You know, True. because because the balance of the game doesn't doesn't swing in that particular way. Instead, it True. swings in the actual operation of the game, right? Yeah. Uh, because your your lowest level starting out, you know, Savage Worlds characters can be badasses if you explode some dice. Oh yeah. Um, and your your advancement of characters in Savage Worlds is it's a great example of a system where your advancement 
doesn't make them uber powerful. Yeah. It just makes them better. You know, it gives them uh, some level of an edge to what they already do well or gives them the opportunity to open up new avenues of expansion on the development of the character. In and D&D, I like the edges and hindrances know. in Savage Worlds. It leads to a good balance on characters. And gives you a lot of options. Mm-hmm. Um, D&D is a zero to hero system, you know, where uh, you start out pretty... And I, I don't... I mean, I, I get the complaint about people not liking playing first level characters that are like next door to death. It's like, you know, hey, I have seven <laughs> hit points. <And> it's like... <laughs> But, you know, you have seven hit points. Kill some rats. You have seven <laughs> hit points in a game that is designed to be okay with that, where you still have three death saves when you hit zero hit points, where healing is actually pretty accessible and easy. And you only have to spend 300 experience points at first level. You know, it's really not that hard to kind of get where you need to get. But you got to get to third or fourth level char- characters before you don't, you don't feel like you're going to die if somebody just gets a lucky hit in, because yeah. that can always happen. On the other hand, if you haven't already mapped out your entire character's path, starting with that character is, I'm going to be in this class, let's go ahead and do this thing, and I will figure out what I'm going to be when I get to third level. When I get there, playing through those first two levels at the easy stuff is where you get to build your character and go, oh, okay, this is actually the type of bard, barbarian, rogue, right. thief, whatever right. you, I want to be. And then you go ahead and go into it now knowing what the world needs from you. And it's not I so hard. I stuff. <laughs> <laughs> we know. Um, and it's not so hard. To imagine, um, in previous editions of D&D, I never particularly cared for, like, skipping that first couple levels or something. It felt kind of cheap in a way. But in third, in fifth edition, it's not really that big a deal. If you want to start at third level, which is the level at which most characters, you know, pick their, their subclass and start getting the things that will flavor out the characters, it doesn't feel like such a huge deal because they're still pretty basic bottom-of-the-barrel characters. They just don't have seven hit points anymore. But I still, at that point, I want more discussion before we start playing as to right. how our characters have been going together and what got me to here. Well, when we first started this game the, that we played uh, today, our War of the Burning Sky game, we started it as a uh, D&D game. And it was at third level because we were converting a campaign that had been written for previous editions of the game and... Um, when it was converted, it felt like it made more sense to start the characters at third level to be able to handle the kind of challenges that were designed for the game. So wasn't a big deal, though, was it? I mean, it wasn't hard. It was just different. No. And like you said, you kind of had to kind of work out some stuff about where you came from and how you got there and why you were on the path that you were on already, which isn't a whole lot different than what you do with first level characters, except it's just more refined. Yeah. And it was fine. It worked out fine. And you guys did a great yeah. job, you know. When we did convert those characters to Savage Worlds, that means we had a bunch of kind of background that we had to kind of uh, shed a spotlight on to kind of figure out what it was going to mean for the characters at this point. But um, yeah. we've been playing the uh, Pathfinder for Savage Worlds with these characters since we converted them. And uh, it's been a very successful port, I feel like. But yeah. here's the moment that got me thinking this way. Exactly. It was last week when you guys um, were playing this game. You get to we have this fight aboard ship. So we got some bad guys who are about to do a terrible thing. They're about to activate a thing. Basically, think of it like they're about to blow up a bomb on the ship. And the ship below decks has a whole bunch of unsuspecting dignitaries and important people. The PCs figure out a thing is going on. They follow the bad guy up to where the device is and stuff, and they find out what's happening, and they ensue and uh, a fight ensues. This combat was originally written, this scenario was originally written for a uh, D&D game, you know. Um, and, it originally, and it had already been converted officially once or twice. It was written originally for, like, 
uh, Pathfinder in 4th edition, and then there was a 5th edition port that uh, they put together and I'm working off of, and then I'm converting it to Savage Worlds. Well, the 5th edition scenarios written up was a pretty challenging scenario. You typically expect the PCs, and to give you guys some kind of insight into that, you expect the PCs Mm -hmm. to get involved in this fight, and um, it's just four opponents, you know, four bad guys, and one of them is busy trying to set off the device, right? So the other three are the ones they have to deal with. We have, what, five PCs, right? And one on one even there. So it's like, well, one, you have an NPC. Right. Um, do it I have five? Four, five, is that right? Or is that including Torrent? So that's maybe you have four PCs plus, because it's U3 and, well, no, it's U3 and Nira and John, but Nira mm-hmm. was, her character was not involved in the fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what's confusing me. Yeah, so yeah. there's still five of you. So pretty, pretty solid five PCs, you know, five, five party members and uh, four bad guys, one of whom was occupied for most of it. And um, in the D&D version of this, you get into this fight and it's kind of a drawn out fight. And, you know, if you've run D&D games, played D&D games, you know, most combats don't go more than a few rounds. You know, uh, most combats have heavy hitters, you know, big, tough opponents that you have to grind down a bit. Maybe you get five or six rounds out of if you're lucky. I mean, that's actually pretty extreme most of the time. Um, Anything that lasts like a minute, any spell effect or, you know, a concentration up to or anything like that. Anything that lasts like a minute, which is 10 rounds, you don't typically feel like it's going to run out. I mean, I, I still have to track it as a game master, of course, but round 10 is a whole hell of a long ways away, and you're probably never going to see it. Mm-hmm. So basically, that effect is for the whole fight. You guys are playing Savage Worlds characters. <laughs> I made the opponents relatively challenging. I made um, Giorgio, the bad guy that was actually doing the thing with the device, a wild card to make him even more challenging. And then you guys walked into the battle. First person, Nuvezasa's character, almost dies instantly because of lucky rolls for the bad guys. Next thing that happens is everybody left, mostly Richard and Brian's characters, whomp up on the bad guys and explode six waves from Sunday on the dice and start taking them out left and right. The battle lasted three rounds. That's only because the last guy was a wild card. I mean, it was insane. So in the original write-up for this, like you guys find out this, you figure out this is going on, you go up on deck, and it's going to take 10 rounds for this bomb to warp up. And I'm like, okay, that's unrealistic. <laughs> There's no fucking danger in that at all. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah. we're going to make that four rounds before the bomb goes to blow it up. You know, I was like, let's see what happens. But um, you guys were great. And it was a decisively swingy battle. It's exactly what Savage Worlds can do really well. But it was so unexpected. As a game master, I wondered about like get to the other end. I'm going, was that anticlimactic? Did they enjoy that? Because I mean, they won, so I'm sure they enjoyed that. But <laughs> you know, you get to the other side of it, you're like, could that have been better? Could that have been more challenging? Was it too easy? Were the bad guys not coordinating enough? They didn't have time to coordinate enough. They barely had time to coordinate their armor. You know, it's like, <laughs> what? What just happened? <laughs> So I, I need to remind you something. Yes. Vanessa almost died very first thing. There was still threat of death. It was still a challenge. It's not True. It's not your fault that everyone else exploded. But it wasn't almost died like in one hit, too, because that's how swingy the game can get. I got was, four wounds um, in one strike. Yes, it was in one hit. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> what I'm talking about. I, uh, you know, there's a, uh, there's a, a game option you could select that actually keeps you from having a single wipe kill um no it's it's turned but, oh, yeah. uh, check damage session. cap which actually <laughs> damage cap i actually it's supposed to be a default um rule in pathfinder and maybe, maybe. we don't have it turned on on the fantasy grounds oh okay. weird okay um but yeah i was oh. at a friend's house when we were playing 
and it was so funny because after we get done playing, I turn around and start to, to, to hang out with him because he, we'd been waiting to hang out together. And uh, he's like, uh, so, all right, I have some questions. All right. Who was the game master? I said, well, that was Eric. He's like, oh, okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. What game were you playing? I'm like, well, that was Savage Worlds. They're like, okay, how does that system work? (laughs) (laughs) Went through and explained what he'd been listening to. And then we're talking about some stuff. And and he's like, now, you didn't do a lot of constant combat. And I'm like, no, we were role playing for most of the game. We, We only had to combat right there at the end when we actually had to be in combat. Yeah, the first half of that session, as I recall, was you guys trying to deal with a ghost that you wanted to find a way to peacefully oust from a house or a building where it <laughs> had true, uh, been that's trapped. True. We had a few rolls in there, but he, he was amazed at how few rolls we were doing because he plays 3-5. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, there's that. Mm. Everything in 3-5 is a roll. Well, look at uh, contrast that with today's game where we got into the game and uh, you guys went into a dungeon. I mean, you didn't immediately go to the dungeon, but it was pretty quick. You know, that was kind of the brunt of it was getting to this sunken prison where you guys are going in but and trying to quick. find the bad it guy. Went, it went extremely quick. And um, we actually had like four combat encounters. How often do we actually do that in one session? You know, and that was in because this it was game, like, not often. <laughs> bam, 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 bam. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If no, I'd run those I four combats it, in D&D, we'd I, still be at it. I thought it went it. very well. You know, no, the the, first dungeon, with the virtual so. tabletop and everything and the Yeah, it hasn't been a lot of that. Um, you know, instead this, of locking yeah, wow, down. No, there hasn't been a lot of that know. at all in this game, has there? You didn't have to. We realized the forest was kind of dungeony. Tin quarter. We could see exactly what it looked like. And you gave a little bit of room description. And we continued, you know, we turned on the lights on our tokens and everything. And the people that couldn't see were like, this way, follow us. Yeah, that always kind of drives it home to... I I know that like um, Richard and Vanessa, we've been doing that on Roll Twenty for a while, and they're kind of accustomed to that with the characters we do in our uh, Tuesday night game on Roll Twenty. And uh, I've you know I've converted all the maps I've done to using the lighting restrictions and stuff, and it's different than Fantasy Grounds, but same basic principle, obviously. But in that game, almost everybody in the party has dark vision, and so honestly, vision limitations are not a thing. Light isn't something they typically have to worry about. Except it for doesn't Nira. come up a lot. Yeah, except for Nira, <laughs> and Nira's right. character bitches about it constantly. Yes. <laughs> because it never drives, nothing drives that home quite like getting involved in a game where you are looking at the maps based on what your characters can see on the screen. You know, because running these games, taking them off the physical tabletop and putting them into this virtual environment where it highlights that for you by not giving you any information your character does not have really you're the, sucks. <laughs> you're the one player in the group who doesn't have dark vision. Yeah, and and you feel in it at that point. I mean, obviously there wasn't any thought about that. And her token just spin in circles while she's trying to see all the directions at once. Right, because she, she had that bullseye lantern. It's like that 80-foot cone that direction. So like, she kept moving the cone to see what was going on. So funny. But um, yeah. I love it. You know, and that way things could sneak up on her that she couldn't see either, which would drove her crazy. But it was uh, it was fun. You know, it's it's and it is fun. Um, and I thought, yeah, the the masking and everything in the in the fantasy ground setup worked really well. Uh, I, I thought you guys uh, handled it very well. Yeah. You guys obviously were able to tell what was going on with the characters. And and you're right. I love the fact that like there's some characters that they can't see in the dark, so like they have to wait on whoever's carrying a lantern around to be in a space they could use. Makes a difference. It's what was going. It's what's actually going on, though. I mean, that's that's what you, that's what's happening in the world. The character who can't see needs to rely on the ones who can. It's fun, though. I like it. Yeah, uh, I I enjoyed um, I enjoyed this. I mean, there was a lot of combat, so there was a less role playing intense session. Uh, but 
that's the other thing. You guys are really kind of coming into these characters better the further we get into the game. And I'm seeing more and more evidence of that. I see a lot more like little role-playing moments in it where your characters um, bounce off of each other with things they're saying or things they're doing, you know, uh, relying on each other or referring to each other. Um, it isn't just an affectation, you know, when when uh, your characters like maneuver around each other or utilize each other's positions in combat. It's more than a passing kind of like, I'm going to move over here with this obstacle. It's like, um, I'm going to move to behind Faulty and, you know, place my hand on his shoulder and then you say a thing, you know, stuff like that. There's there's a certain level of that that I really enjoy the realism of. But our characters know, went from not knowing each other. They went <laughs> from not knowing each other to actually knowing each other and now they've been, they they trust each other more. <laughs> and have fought together and you, you understand what each other are capable of and what you're going to bring to a situation better. Uh, I, I did think it was a little funny that like, Nira was kicking herself so hard at like Hoshi forgetting about, or forgetting about Hoshi's like undead, destroy undead <laughs> power until like the second <laughs> round of the fight with the, with the horde of skeletons. I suppose <laughs> I could just destroy the undead because that's something I can do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, no, she yes, never. It was great. a new power for her too. <laughs> right. she was a, so that was a funny thing. It was a new power she had specifically chosen because she knew she was going to go into that man, that that inn where you guys were going to try to take care of the ghost. You know, it was a haunting. It's like you know what? I'm going to get that destroy undead power because that'll be fun. Need it for that, and then she totally didn't need it for that scenario. And so you guys get in here, and I'm like, this is this room is going to be fun. I'm just going to fill it with a horde of undead. Uh, because that's the one thing you can do in Savage Worlds that's a little harder to do in some game systems like D&D, where it's easy for you to put a, a bunch of minions, a bunch of extras against PCs, and the PCs largely outshine them. Extras oh, yeah. are capable of hurting PCs. Of course, anybody can have lucky die rolls, but they don't have as much going for it. You know, they're, they're, they may be rolling much smaller dice, and they don't get the wild die, extra dice that the PCs do to kind of help give them that better chance of, of dealing out the damage. And you guys were, you know, you, every time you touched one, you largely were destroying it, you know, so they were low-level enemies. That was the point, was to make it a fun kind of fight where you were dealing with a, a literal horde of skeletons coming out of these dungeon cells, mobbing you from every direction. And, of course, because you guys managed <laughs> to get spread out right as the encounter was starting, they literally were hoarding you guys from every direction. It was fantastic. They seriously had a bone to pick with us. Oh, my gosh, especially but you. But I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, and let's then, destroy yeah. all the skeletons except the ones surrounding Faulty. We'll leave those. He was fine. He was fine. And then I did. I did enjoy the. I did enjoy the next room with the with the underwater room and stuff where you guys were fighting the creatures that could swim around. So there's that certain at that point, which got Brian's character trying I'm getting too old for this. Jumps over the edge, using his armor to just sink right down, you know, uh, and get into the fight. Everybody's holding their breath and swinging around underwater. But My character it was, was fun. nervous about it. Another character absolutely wouldn't do it. Yeah, uh, yeah. two of the characters, including Vanessa's, wouldn't go in the water. It's like, and Vanessa's character, of course, she's playing in Arakokra and can't swim. So There's this whole extreme nervous. movement restriction and not being able to, like, survive underwater that, <laughs> for some reason, just seems terrifying. My feathers are already damp, damn it. Exactly. <laughs> Um, you enjoy playing that character? Oh yeah, I'm a little different, one. huh? Oh yeah. Um, the flight stuff is interesting. You know, the opportunities to play characters that have that kind of mobility, which sets them apart, gives them a different kind of role and things. Obviously, he's been a good scout. When you guys are in the wilderness, that played a very general role. You know, just like the person who plays the character who scouts ahead of the party, so you like you tell them if they encounter anything, and then they wait for the party or get back, you know, get back to them, yeah. run back to them or something. With the with you being up in the air, you could signal or you know 
get their attention in some way, uh, but it gave you a, a literal bird's eye view of things. It changed the way you guys deal with uh, potential challenges on the road. Yes. But in a dungeon, that shit don't matter. Yeah. No. <laughs> You're Rick not the not rogue who goes sneaking ahead. super excited about being underground. <laughs> right? Uh, particularly not in a flooded corridor. I'm not going to say it's going to be your guys' last dungeon or anything, but they're not a huge part of this particular game. So there are some bigger ones that will be, of course, later down the road. But yeah, um, so far, um, the the other thing I always I worry about sometimes when doing a conversion like this is how how it's playing out in terms of that that level of the challenges involved, whether or not it like I was, I was talking about is like is this a high is this enough of a challenge? Does this feel fulfilling? Um, does this feel realistic for a fight? If you guys have to go through like this fight after fight after fight after fight, how did it feel in terms of like your character's ability to handle it? You know, did it have the weight that it should in this scenario, but also not be a drag? And your characters are still in pretty good shape, you know, after the, after like four fights, because you guys fought the Chules, you fought a Mimic, you fought the Skeletons, you fought the Swoggin, and then you fought the Chule, you let it get away again. Uh, it was, I thought it worked out really well. And you guys have gotten to this point, which is kind of like the, the crux where you're getting ready to kind of go to the next section of things. And you are, if not fresh, still fully capable. Um, you know, and if you needed to expand on that, you have the option because in Savage Worlds you can recover power points in an hour and be, or you spend a penny and get some back, you know, and be ready to roll and be just like, uh, just like the start of a new day. And since uh, there's a, a strong session mechanic in Savage Worlds with the bennies and everything, it pretty much is going to be a new day. The next time we get together to play these characters, they head down the stairs to the next level and they get all their bennies back and everything like you're starting a new thing. Uh, yeah, it was which fun. is fun. I mean, it's just for the fun of it. But it was a good session. I really enjoyed it today. I thought you guys did great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was good. Yeah, we had a good time. I had a good time. I had a good time. Yes. I'm glad you guys did. Uh, it is fun playing game. a character that can't swim in a flooded corridor. Just say it. Yeah. And, and of course, there's always that thing. I did want to spend. I'm glad it isn't the kind of scenario where we've got to spend a bunch of time on the underwater kind of thing. But I love um, I love adventure scenarios that provide you with very different environments. Oh yeah, and it's one of the things I really enjoy about this campaign, the War of the Burning Sky game. The, the if you listen to the podcast long, uh, particularly if you listen to us from the beginning, you know that we've done this before. I ran a different group through this uh, particular campaign like 10, 11, 12, 13 years ago, and we had a great time. But we never finished the campaign. It's one of the big reasons I want to do it again. And none of these players except Nero were in that, and Nero was. Uh, young teenager she was just starting out in in gaming she didn't she doesn't remember the shit there are things i've asked her you know i've said so what do you remember about this uh situation and she's like i i remember the storm she remembered the hurricane she remembered the storm because that's a big event right yeah she remembered there's a storm she doesn't remember anything about the place you guys are in right now anything about that at all there's one thing she remembers that might be an encounter later but i can't even tell her for sure if it is because i don't remember seeing it when i looked ahead because I, you know, I, I prep a ways ahead, but I don't get too crazy. Because you guys, you guys kind of drag your feet sometimes. Role players, role players do. You know, if you if you are if you are a combat oriented party, then you get in, get out. You're gonna crunch through a lot of like you know combats and stuff like that. With a role playing group, you get in with a lot of like, you know, um, you get up. You're you're haggling and you're you know meeting and dealing with NPCs and investigating mm-hmm. things and making decisions about your own life and. These characters already, you're in a town, relatively new town to you, and they're already kind of setting up their own agendas, you know? Um, yeah. The Haragon is is a chef by trade before he was a wizard, so he he really wants to set up, he, now that he's away from Gate Pass and away from the war, he wants to 
set up a trade again. You know, something he's thinking about very heavily. It's, it's a big drive for him now that you guys have fulfilled the principal mission in getting here. Like, I'll go set up a restaurant or a food cart or something. But, um, you know, whereas uh, Hoshi's got some sort of personal agenda, obviously, that she isn't talking about. But um, also just she's excited about every little thing and wants to get involved in every little thing. Um, Faltius has, uh, you know, opened his bleeding heart to dealing with the the refugees from the war, making sure that they're not maligned or mistreated by the local government and become part of that machine. While Galt has done just the opposite end of the same thing by helping to provide mercy and, uh, you know, um, you'll work in the refugee camps to provide uh, healing <laughs> and succor and uh, assistance where needed. Getting Are we people, ready to you know, move sick on people the what Hold need, on, we would like and to. It's all great, but it's got nothing to do with the actual the adventure. And there's a lot of players that wouldn't bother that, with any of this shit. Mead and <laughs> is, is my point. You know what I'm saying? Yesterday, then we go to the dungeon. <laughs> but right now, we are waiting on our cream puffs. They don't have cream. Oh my gosh, they don't have cream. I will go to the market. <laughs> Oh well, yeah, well we fair. wanted to scare some ghosts out of a house down the street first, and then we could. We're going to look for the highest quality cow. We only the highest quality cream for the cream puffs. <laughs> I saw a cow earlier today. I know where we can find this. <laughs> That's the other thing too is I have enc- I had encounters set up like things that you guys could uh, do to kind of like not kill time necessarily, but things that you had about a three or four day stretch there where you were waiting for like the uh, the theater event that you guys did in the last session. And so it's like it kind of because your typical. D&D group or something is going to look for shit to do that's going to provide them um, with experience. It's going to uh, be like, you know, what what is it we can do that your average Joe can't do? <laughs> you know, we're going to go you know, test our metal and, and throw around our weight. Not, okay, we're in a new town. I'm going to go help start a temple. Um, <laughs> yeah. We 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 not we we didn't do downtime activities. We engaged in downtime. It's different because it wasn't downtime for you guys. It was dealing with where you are, the circumstances you're in, and the upcoming events are things you have to wait before you can get into. You're waiting for more information. You're waiting for the Lyceum to tell you what they need from you. You're waiting for your opportunity to assist where appropriate. Meanwhile, while you are waiting, you are still living, breathing people that need to. I- Pay for food and and maybe earn a little coin if you can, or offer help where you can. Do the things that are important to I you. Like, Excuse me, like, the things that I are important feel like to you. Some of the the extra uh, role playing comes from pretty sure most of what, what Crick has been doing has been babysitting I mean, not, and spending not money. The, so I not can't that there's say not role playing in D anD D, but you know what? I don't know. The last you know in D anD D, you're always kind of chasing that next level. You're like how much how much XP till I can cast fireball, or how much XP till I can get the ability to do this whereas in this system yeah there are advances and level ups but they don't seem anywhere near as important as yeah yeah and so no, it's impactful yeah yeah whereas in in D is more skills based so you look at hey these are the skills system, that i have these are the skills you know, that i can do I don't, things just, with so i'm just gonna look like for opportunities to use more these particular skills uh, not necessarily playing. to and interact even, with you know, anything the con- else because the, the, the rules i have a set of very specific skills uh <laughs> Exactly. It makes the combats go back quickly, but they're fun. I would even go so far as to say that it's plausible that um, D&D is typically, um, I, we the way we, it depends on the group and depends on the scenario. Because I've definitely played um, games where the player characters focus on uh, personal agendas and downtime activities quite a bit. Uh, but there's still no escaping the fact that they feel like just that. You know, this is something I am doing to bide my time or, or to take advantage of my time between 
this adventure and this adventure. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a, a solidarity to that. It's fine. Um, in the campaign I've been running on Tuesday night, the characters have been involved in the same kind of ongoing story for quite a while because I'm running the Desert of Desolation, and they've been playing it for months and months. So there's definitely a feel like anytime you get to it isn't like downtime between adventures. It's like you get to a, a place of where there's there's people or there's shopping or there's you know um, opportunities to to engage in other uh, developments, other priorities. You take advantage of it because you don't know when the next opportunity you'll get to is, and you don't know whether or not um, the the same opportunities that are there are going to make sense later. You know, you want stuff that your character could engage in that feels, you know, vibrant for the character. And that can be challenging sometimes. Um, But we do try to run, I try to run games that have that same sort of world-oriented feel to them no matter what we're doing. And I admit that um, you may be right. I mean, maybe Savage Worlds is a game that uh, lends itself to that in in a different way because the kind of the generic structure of the game uh, coupled with the the lack of immediacy built in urgency built into the advancements makes it feel like the game you're playing today is largely going to be the same game you're playing two months from now you know it isn't about that and so maybe how the how they engage with the story is the more rewarding part of it and i think that that should be at some level i'd love to see that be the case with most gaming and i'm not getting on anybody's case or running a very combat-driven or experience-driven or adventure or quest-driven game. Um, house game I, I've run for my family is very much a uh, monster hunter situation where, you know, Jonica wanted to play a very Witcher-inspired character. And so uh, they literally look for quests. They literally sometimes go to the bar and look for jobs posted on the board. You know, it's like, hey, you know, can you get me three belts from the wolf packs in this area? I don't know, whatever. But you, you get the idea. You know, it's like it's, we need, you know, there's a farmer who's got a problem up in the dell and there's a monster in a cave. And you know, it's like, okay, and we'll go take care of that and we'll earn some coin. Uh, there's a local adventuring guild that keeps trying to, because that that seemed like something that made sense with this, this party. They keep trying to recruit them, and they keep going ahead and taking jobs from them, but they won't join because they don't want to be <laughs> obligated to them, right? But because it's me running this game, I still inserted a meta plot underneath everything, and I've helped continue developing the media setting therein in a way that makes it impossible to ignore bigger picture events. Like early on, they found out some bad guys were after an artifact or something, a relic of some sort in a tomb. They get, they are concerned about what they're going to do with it because nobody knows. They get to the tomb first to manage to secure the item, which effectively means that the party raided the tomb <laughs> before the bad guys could. And then <laughs> it turned out thing. that, then it turned out that the item being entombed in the tomb actually created a certain stability in the region because it was responsible for, it belonged to like the river knight. And the, back then the guy had managed to make use of the power that he had to create fertile lands in the area, diverting the river through this region and creating fertile lands in the area. When they removed this from his tomb, all that started to dry up and they started creating drought in the region. But they still can't just like put it back or something because the bad guys know where the tomb is, you know, (laughs) and they don't want to admit to the local lords that they had anything to do with it. (laughs) And it's got to be easier to break into now that they've broken into it. Right. And so I doubled down, of course, because because my wife makes it so easy to, to egg her on. But, I mean, I doubled down to where they find out later they end up going on this mission where this these people went to this fey forest and some of them didn't come back. And they're asked by the Adventurers Guild to kind of go help, you know, accompany them to kind of help fight off monsters or whatever. 
helps them see if they can find out these lost people. And when they get there, they find out that these lost people were kidnapped by some fey people from the Feywild <laughs> because the fey queen of the forest in this area has gone a little cuckoo because the magic is out of balance in the nature in her region in the real world because they stole the staff from the relic <laughs> six levels ago. <laughs> and now she's waging war on the entire region. Now they're dealing with a situation where they've got fey creatures like red caps and shit hopping out of like portals in the woods and attacking the locals. And so they're rushing around trying to help save everybody and trying to figure out how to stop this entire war from coming to a head. Not what they wanted. It's a monster hunting game. <laughs> but I still keep trying to put the monster hunting stuff in there. Yeah, make it fun. Um, yeah. I, I just can't help myself. But I, you know, even then, there's a lot of opportunity. I've styled the game around their goals, their agendas, right? But yeah. I've tried to create a lot of opportunities for role-playing, for character development, for engaging with the environment, for finding their mm -hmm. place in the world. And I think that's why a game like... Because you could run the game on the campaign I'm running that you're talking about, Brian. I mean, I could I could run it in a very straight kind of D&D &D style fashion where we just kind of like, okay, so after you deal with that, three days later, there's this thing that comes up and we do this that gets you to the dungeon. Bam. Now let's go into the dungeon. I mean, we can do right. that. And there's nothing wrong with it, but it isn't as rewarding to me as engaging with the world and making a part of your character's personal story. Yeah. And you guys do that. You guys do that. You could do it so well. You bounce off of each other. You bounce off the NPCs. You engage with your characters. Even even characters in this game, like we've got a couple of characters like right here. Uh, Crick is someone who doesn't have a lot of personal agenda. Yep. Vanessa's character doesn't really have a lot of drive. He, he's got some preferences and some things that he doesn't like. And he's probably trying to assimilate that into how he's going to view things in general. Now that he's in like places where there's an actual <laughs> civilization and shit. Yeah. He, but mostly... What's that? So he's on a travel vlog, and uh, it's gotten <laughs> horribly off track, but he's continuing just to roll with it. <laughs> he, he's the guy who, like, long after nothing in the in the vlog actually makes any sense, is opening up the journal uh, and going, what well, about that door? <laughs> and the worst part is, he's over there along with us the whole time, and he's like, you know, at any time I get bored with this journey, I could just fly home, right? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, in in his case, happen. literally fly home. <laughs> but but Hickrick's um, answer to that has been uh, forming a relationship with one particular other PC yeah. that he finds mutually interesting. You yeah. know, because because Nero's character Hoshiko is so excited about every little thing. It puts him in a position where he can feed off of that excitement and kind of follow it around to the things that, that are interesting to her, which almost always seem to have coincidentally interesting things for him. It's all about Which is exactly fun. the type of person you'd want to be following around if you were on a travel vlog. Also, <laughs> also making sure that she doesn't get into any trouble. <laughs> Theoretically. <laughs> or at least right. trying to. <laughs> that, that, that could be tough with her. So protective. Galt, conversely. Galt is a character who where he doesn't actually have, I mean, he's got some personal motives. He's got some demons that he's dealing with, but he isn't necessarily driven to a specific kind of like um, activity or set of activities. You know, maybe he's looking for some self-fulfillment. Maybe he's looking right. to exercise his, you know, his devotion. He feels his obligation to the Aquiline Cross and the things like that to help people in general. But that doesn't define, obviously, his specific moment-to-moment -moment goals very much. He doesn't have an agenda he's feeding in that way. He doesn't have a personal motive. It's like, now that we're in Sequa, and I guess it's time to open myself a fighter school. I mean, what's he, what's he really doing, right? Um, yeah. 
Yeah. But he still feels like he's he still feels very real in the moment. More so than he has the entire time. Like I said, you obviously been developing the character, been walking with the character through this, Brian, and coming to a place where you're getting more comfortable with him. Finding his voice, <laughs> finding his uh, attitude, you know, the way he engages with the people in the party, which is becoming very, um, I, I don't know, it feels very natural. It feels very organic. Uh, beyond the jokes, obviously. <laughs> Sorcery! This way! <laughs> But oh, yeah, man, so many words. <laughs> Sorcery. <laughs> Groot, <laughs> so many, I am Groot. Well, I am few Groot. words, but all the right ones, right? <laughs> so, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, you know. But these are the things I look for because, as a game master, I have the unique opportunity to develop the world in a way that provides food for that. You know, that that, that provides the opportunity for players to. To reach into it and take advantage of that, to to feed on it, to create something out of nothing. You don't have to, you know. You don't you don't have to build anything in any particular way. It doesn't have to be deep or meaningful or, or rich. Yeah. But I think by and large, with us, it's going to be. Uh, and and that's that's I think what <laughs> makes it the most fun for me as a, as a game master is seeing a group develop that. Are you guys are you guys uh, yeah, totally uh, tired of listening to me uh, ramble now? <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long day. <laughs> Yeah, but it's fine. I yeah, I appreciate you guys spending a little time with me. I know it's it's uh, we we game today and we had a pretty pretty decently long game session. Yeah, um, it's 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 unusual sometimes that we get like no urgency, you know, in anything, and we can just kind of ride it out. But um, we're not going to get it. We also know we weren't going to get another chance until after the con to uh, play this particular game. So we wanted to kind of you know get so get our hits in a little bit, you know. The con that we're all super excited for because it's going to be awesome. And just I after agree. the end of my tax season. Which yeah, is the point. Yeah. But it's also a lot and I've got a lot uh, to plan for and prep for. I still haven't figured out how I'm getting everything there. I've still got a logistics nightmare in my back pocket that I haven't figured out yet. I've only got a couple weeks to do it. But um, you guys are going to come pick some shit up, right? I mean, that'll solve my problem right there. Oh, <laughs> I'm got a thing. out of town that week. <laughs> Wait a, minute. Wait a minute. That week is next week. <laughs> I'm working a lot. Uh, whatever. Yeah, I know you are. You got a thing? <laughs> Brian, Brian, you I'm can come a- visit beautiful Colorado Springs. <laughs> I don't I don't seem to get a lot of takers on this. I'm not sure. Maybe I'm presenting it wrong. Maybe I'm not I'm not starting with I got fifty dollars burning a hole in my pocket. You know, I was like eh, there's probably a way I can get some just, help, you know. Just drive eight and a half hours and come see me. And then yeah, well, I fill your like car it. up and drive back. It'll be all right. Fifty dollars is it won't even cover a tank of gas for most people. So. Nah, fifty dollars, a little yeah. over fifty. Yeah, our will car get me is a tiny. Tank and it would take probably at least two. Oh, at dude. least. <sighs> at least you got a vehicle that can actually help though too. I mean, True. You and Richard both. You know, it's like if I could get one of you up here. Yeah, yeah. That's, I, that's my, my car's already full of board games. You that's realize true. how deep my obsession <laughs> runs? You, you use it for storage already. I get you. No worries. Um, yeah, that's I, why I have three closets of board you games. You never know when a gaming convention is going to break out, and you need to have a bunch of board games in your car. <laughs> well, I know when a gaming convention is going to break out, um, and we may need games because I may not be able to get all of mine there. I'm working on it, though. Um, I've had people asking about the board game library this year. People are excited about, about getting into it, and I've only got... I've got a couple hundred games. It's not huge, but um, you know the convention has been picking. We've been picky about what we've added to the library over the years, 
and try to make sure we we stay kind of relevant, get a little, get a few newer games every year. Obviously, I I can't always uh, find ways to I, anymore. The publishers are not making de- side deals anymore, so it's getting harder and harder for me to find um, opportunities to get a hold of some of the big expensive games. Yeah, that's that's unfortunate. But if I do, I will add them to the library in a heartbeat. Meanwhile, got some great stuff. Looking forward to it. And uh, like I said, I got a bunch of play to win games. Um, mm-hmm. Envoy has uh, connected me with several uh, publishers, manufacturers that uh, are, are sending me games, and I'm getting boxes every day, much to my wife's chagrin because they're nothing for her. I get boxes, <laughs> boxes in the mail every day. She, it's funny because um, we always we do so much with mail order during the year, and since moving, it's one of the few things that'll get her out of the house for a minute. It's like let's go to the because we have an Amazon hub here in the complex where we live. Um, we got to go around a few buildings, so it's a walk. Or if we got like a few things to pick up, I'll drive over because I don't want to don't have much time we got to carry. But it's yeah. like, oh yeah, let's go, go let's go. I got things to have. Oh well, let's go. Occasionally there'll be something for her because she orders stuff, obviously. But mm-hmm. she never remembers what she orders or how long it's going to take to get to her. Or pays attention to any email she gets about <laughs> anything at all ever under any circumstances. So it doesn't really resonate with her whether or not she's expecting anything. So it's always a happy surprise when she does. Right now, no happy surprises. <laughs> Every time we go to the hub, oh look, I got a box from Steve Jackson Games and another one from USAopoly. I I've got games. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> eh. but um, yeah, it's gonna be fun. I I'm looking forward to it. And I know there's some board gamers. We've seen a few board games listed on the schedule. We never see a bunch of them in advance. So if you're if you're one of those people that are looking at it and kind of wondering, know that we do have a pretty um, we have a pretty decent library there. We have a lot of like local. Uh, convention attendees who like to bring out their own board games. Uh, some of the people that we have helping run the library, um, Michelle Cobb is going to be the one who's really kind of running things for me this year. She and her brother always bring out games to play to. Uh, Dave Turner, uh, just a bunch of local people that are really into it. Uh, uh, Greg from uh, uh, Tabletop University is going to be bringing out uh, some games to to demo, and he's actually put some games up on the schedule for that. You know, he usually does. Be looking for that and just just come on out and have a good time uh, because there's plenty to do. And if you're a role player, my God, this <laughs> you have options. this is my favorite kind of convention <laughs> because you got options and and not so many people that you're competing with to get into those games that you can that you, that you have trouble actually getting to play shit. Although you should definitely start now if you haven't yet because tables are filling up. It happens. Uh, we we definitely got some that are already full. Like Vanessa mentioned, her her ten candles game is already full. Yeah. And there's a lot of those, a lot of great um, indie games that are run by various people that that tend to fill up. And if you want to try something new out, that's the best way to do it is to come to the con. So once again, Tsunami Con is happening October twentieth, twenty first, twenty second, Wichita Holiday Inn. Uh, was it? it's actually the Holiday Inn Wichita East I thirty five is what they call it. Uh, which is interesting because it's like a stone's throw from a bridge that is I-35 going over Rock Road. And otherwise, you got to go way down to get onto it. I guess it's kind of close. But uh, yeah, it's a fantastic venue. It'll be a lot of fun. And uh, oh, look yeah. forward to seeing everybody there. Uh, once again, uh, special thanks to our big sponsors um, uh, this year, uh, Talon Games. I, th- I believe he's got a store in um, El Dorado. But I, I, I'll, I've got the links on the website and everything. And Talon has um, – they, they uh, focus on a game – uh, called CAV. Um, what does that stand for again? I got always got to look it up because I've never played it, so I don't know that much about it. CAV Strike Force uh, stands for um, Strike C- CAV Strike Operations Combat Assault Vehicle. CAV. You think I should know that? 
It's mechs. Oh, it sounds fun. Yeah, it's a miniature game, and he's got a big. He's got a he's got a big double size booth and some tables set aside to do demos and and show people the game. And I'm sure it'll be a lot of fun to go over and check out because there'll be so much pretty stuff to play with. Uh, and you know, um, I, I think it's great when anybody can put together you know a uh, locally you know a real kind of commitment to a game like that and build a community around it. Because if you really enjoy um, a game like if you really enjoy miniatures games, there's other conventions and other events throughout the year that focus on those more than TsunamiCon does. We've always wanted to make sure that we have a place for that for our gamers. If you are committed to the miniature gaming, to the war gaming, to the tournament style gaming, you're, you're, there's there's definitely events that cater to that. Uh, Flying Monkey happens every year in Wichita, and they do a great job with that from what I understand. But TsunamiCon will be a great place for you to actually learn about some of these games and demo them. Uh, last year, we had some people that brought out some Battletech stuff and uh, a couple of other um, uh, different types of uh, miniature games, and it's always fun to see them there. So I'm super excited that he's decided to sponsor us this year, make us a big part of their promotional push for their game. And if you look at the website, some really cool models and stuff, which I always I always liked the look and feel of mech games. I've just never been able to really get into it. Uh, I mean, the very it's it's very com- very dra- drag drag out long you know long ass combat games, right? I mean, that's that's what they are. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if, if you love it, you love it. That's that's awesome. Yes. And uh, and we'll be there, and, and of course the borough, like I said, and we'll be there. Um, Jonica is going to be there with the tea this year. So if you mentioned last year, you'll be excited to know that she's going to be bringing all the. All the tea stuff for sales, when I say she, I mean us, I mean, which largely means me figuring out how to pack it into a car. <laughs> <sighs> it's exhausting, guys. Uh, if I'm talking a mile a minute, it's to keep myself awake. And that will continue right. to be true through TsunamiCon weekend. <laughs> 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 That's why I don't run games anymore. Too much caffeine. <laughs> um, all right. Well, thank you guys for joining me. I really appreciate you doing this, hanging out with me a little bit and get a show in. I just want to make sure that we don't uh, don't neglect our, our audience and... Yeah, you know, that's why I don't sit around and talk about the convention for an hour either, because as as much as we can, it's not what we're here for. <laughs> it's right. not all we're here for. So, um, and I enjoy I enjoy talking about all kinds of gaming topics. And sometimes it's hard after uh, um, uh, how many years? Eleven, twelve years. Sometimes it's hard to come up with stuff to talk about, and that's fine. Uh, I remember Richard bugging me again in the beginning. It's, what are we going to talk about today? What are we talking about? Today? I don't fucking know. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> We're supposed I'm gonna to have talk. topics? What? <laughs> You're going to contribute, damn it. And you do, and you do it beautifully. Uh, so thank what? you very much. Am I still here? Yeah. What? No, Is this no. thing still on? We're done. You still have the red sign net behind you, so that's a good sign, right? Uh, oh, God. Oh, somebody's <laughs> your, recording. Your, your on-air light. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody be somebody's, quiet, quiet. Somebody's recording the quiet. Uh, so thank you very much for joining us for episode number 292 of Metagamers Anonymous. Finally getting out of here for this evening. Appreciate everybody listening. Uh, because I do love the sound of my own voice, and I hope you do too. Uh, my name is Eric. I'm Rich. I'm Vanessa. And I'm Brian. Good night, everybody. Good night.